Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for another edition of Felony Friday here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. For people who are maybe new to this show, Felony Friday is a show where each and every week we look at injustice in the broken criminal justice system, In fact, we focus intently on shining a light and exposing that injustice, and that's exactly what we're going to do here this week. This is the 74th episode of Felony Friday. That means you're going to be able to find the show notes for this episode at lionsofliberty.com slash FF74, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear from today's guest. This is a story that has had absolutely zero play in the mainstream media. And that's probably because this is a case all about government control. It's all about the government using their force in order to maintain control of the money supply. Of course, the money supply through created by the private Federal Reserve Bank. Of course, the Federal Reserve has a monopoly on the control and issuance of money in this country. And I don't want to give too much away, but essentially what happened in this case is the person I'm going to be interviewing, Randall Lord, and his son challenged that monopoly by running a Bitcoin exchange. So let's get right into this interview today. My guest today on Felony Friday is Randall Lord. This interview with Randall is sort of one of a kind. Uh, Randall was just sentenced to serve 46 months in prison for buying and selling Bitcoin. Randall's case was brought to my attention by some of the members in our Lions of Liberty Forum Facebook group, and I was able to to reach out to a a friend of Randall who was able to connect us, and he's agreed to come on the show today to shine a light on this injustice that he's suffering. Uh, Randall is a, a longtime libertarian activist. He's run for office, and he needs our support now in this difficult time, so I'm happy to give Randall the opportunity to share his story today on Felony Friday. Randall, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jim. Well, thank you for coming on the show on such uh, such short notice today, Randall. And I just, just want to start out by give, really giving you an opportunity to talk about the situation that you're in uh, mm-hmm. so people can, can, uh, can learn uh, the injustice that you're suffering from. So what happened here? Um, what, how, did, uh, how did this case start out? <laughs> well, um, originally I was um, uh, charged with uh, 14 different counts. Um, the main one, of course, was uh, what they call um, uh, conspiring to operate, to own or operate or manage a unlicensed money service business. And the other charges were just the details of, about that operation, but that that was mainly what what, what it was all about. So, Randall, um, just to give to fill in a little bit on your 
on your past. So you're, you're a chiropractor, correct? I, I was. I, I stopped practicing, um, goodness, over 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago. Uh-huh. So you were – so how did – I guess first, how did you get uh, involved in – or how did you first get interested in Bitcoin? <laughs> well, that was kind of interesting. I was uh, – at the time, I was um, pursuing uh, my um, – a bachelor's degree. I'd, I'd, I decided, you know, I'd, I had stopped practicing chiropractic and, and went back to school to get a degree in psychology. And one day, my son approached me with the idea about Bitcoin. And of course, like a lot of people, I said, "What's a Bitcoin?" <laughs> <laughs> so he explained to me a little bit about it. And there were a few aspects of it. I thought, "Huh, well, that sounds kind of interesting." I, you know, I thought, but the thing that I liked about it, from a libertarian's perspective, anyway, was the idea that this was not under the control of a government. It was not a currency issued by a government. That uh, there was privacy involved, that um, you know, the government would, tries to monitor everything you do, and this um, prevents that from happening. It, it, keeps, it keeps your, your business your business. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was interested in it from that perspective, because I, I think the, uh, particularly with the, in light of, uh, the news leaks about what the NSA does. I thought, you know, people need to protect their privacy, and this would be my uh, attempt to help out with that a little bit. And also, I I absolutely detest uh, what the Federal Reserve stands for and how they control our money supply uh, completely unconstitutionally. And I wanted to take any additional a power that they have away from uh, controlling our money. I I don't like that at all. Right. It's definitely a, a unique, unique way and a more easily transferable way to take that power away from the Federal Reserve than if you're right. you know, buying and selling it in gold and silver. It's nice to have mm -hmm. that money in gold and silver, but once it's there, you, you have to move it back. And there's, there's, some, there's some mechanisms in place that can make that a little easier, but Bitcoin is sure. you know, very, very simple. And I, I myself haven't traded Bitcoin, but I, I think I'm a little bit familiar with the process, but it seems like it's much easier to, to buy and sell stuff with it. So it, right. when did you buy your first Bitcoin? Well, actually, I've never owned a Bitcoin. <laughs> this was this was really my son's business. I was simply helping him get started in the business. But, you know, I was interested in, in helping it. And uh, so I've never owned a digital wallet and never owned a, a Bitcoin yet. I still don't have one. So so what... Um, I guess what type of business was, was your son running using, using oh. Bitcoin? Okay. Uh, well, what well, else we were doing was buying and selling bitcoins and do a small markup for, you know, our troubles. And uh, so, in a sense, it was an exchange. You know, mm -hmm. if you wanted to buy bitcoins, yeah, we were the guys to see. So you you were just helping people to really buy bitcoin to store their wealth yeah. in a different way to avoid exactly. the Federal Reserve, all of the above. And you, if, if they wanted to, you know, some people, for whatever reason, don't want their all their mon, money running through their bank account, you know, and that's perfectly fine. There's nothing there's nothing illegal or wrong with that. How did the government get involved? I guess you were investigated by the IRS, the FBI, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the U.S. Postal Service. So how, how, how did this play out? Some of those agencies had to do with some activity that my son was involved in that I knew nothing about. You know, like uh, the post office and the Department of Homeland Security and all that. That was really that part of uh, 
the my son was also involved in drug conspiracy, and a lot of those agencies had to do with that. But the uh, I think what um, what happened was uh, we both knew almost nothing about banking laws or, or you know, not a great deal about law in general and certainly not very much about finance. Our perspective on our business, what we were doing was we were simply buying and selling something we owned. It was our property. Mm-hmm. So we didn't realize that there were really any regulations uh, regarding what we were doing. Uh, we did not consider ourselves to be a money or currency exchanger because Bitcoin's not a currency. Um, not not at the legal level, it's not. And so we never considered the, that those regulations that are out there really even applied to us. Um, what happened is in the beginning, a lot of times uh, people would make uh, purchases and they would deposit their cash into our bank account. And on some days, there would be, you know, more than $10,000 of a purchase going into our account. And so the bank would send in a... Um, a report, a suspicious activity report on us because it was more than $10,000. We didn't even know that that was an issue. (laughs) So anyway, that's how I think that's how they started or why they started investigating us. Yeah, I think think that $10,000 rule, I think that goes back to the Patriot Act. At least that's where it initially came from, I believe. Mm -hmm. Of course, that that terrible, terrible piece of legislation. Um, Yes. You said your son your son was involved in this as well, and he's been sentenced. Were you guys tried together? Uh, yes. It, they, they pretty much treated us as though we were one person. Every time we go to court, we, we had to go together. Okay, but, but you were not convicted of any of the drug conspiracy charges? That's correct. correct? Right. I, I, I didn't even know anything about it until the indictment came down. Based on these licensing issues, the state of Louisiana, you know, said that you needed a a certain license. You were not registered with a a fin, FinCEN or FINCEN license right. to operate as a money service in the state of Louisiana. I, I guess an example: what type of a business would need um, would need this license? Is this what banks get traditionally, or yes, yes, um, uh, the the state and ver- almost every state does regulate money service businesses. And a money service business is typically a, uh, a place of business where they cash checks, where you can transmit your funds to some other person at some other location. That's called a money transmitter. Or um, a currency exchange. For example, if you want to uh, exchange your dollars for euros or vice versa, or, or those type of things. But we weren't doing any of those things. And so... Um, I believe it was in the summer of uh, 2014, one of the um, exchanges that we were buying our Bitcoins from uh, notified us that uh, based on the volume of uh, business that we were doing, that uh, we needed to have a license from the state and to be registered with FinCEN. And of course, that's when I said, What's FinCEN? <laughs> and what's a money service business? Right. You know. Uh, so I went and looked up. First, I went to the um, the website that has that listed uh, the laws regarding uh, money service businesses in my state, and I read their definition of what a money service business was. I went line by line, very carefully, and I said, "This doesn't apply to us. We don't we, we don't need a license to do what we're doing because." 
it very clearly says in here that a, a currency exchanger is a person that accepts a currency issued by one government for another. And since Bitcoin is not issued by a government, it's not a currency under our under the state definition. So I said, okay, well that's fine. We don't have a good thing. We don't have to have that. So I went on and then I researched the um, the ruling that the uh, Treasury Department had come out with uh, regarding Bitcoin. They had, they had issued what they call a, a, a guidance in um, March of 2015, saying that uh, virtual currency. Uh, exchangers had to be registered with FinCEN. And I thought, well, it's I'm that still I'm not really a money transmitter or a currency exchanger, but their their definition of a currency exchanger was a little bit more vague. And of course, they made that ruling to broaden the term uh, of currency exchange to mean Bitcoin. You know, they, they took it upon themselves to change the meaning of the law passed by the legislature uh, to give themselves more power. And and at no time – and at various times, they kept calling me a money transmitter, but I'm not a money transmitter because a money transmitter is where is a, is a business or a person that accepts money. Say, say, for example, you want to send $100 to your buddy in Miami, and you would take your $100, say, to Western Union – Give them the hundred dollars, pay the fee of whatever it costs to transmit. You know, maybe it's twenty bucks or so, and then they send your hundred dollars to your buddy in Miami. Okay, that's a money transmitter. That's very clear what that is. I wasn't doing that. I was selling you a Bitcoin. You're standing right here in front of me. I'm, you know, you ha you hand me the hundred dollars, and I hand you hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. I didn't transmit your Bitcoins to some other location. Well, they they took they tried to change the meaning of that to be so broad and vague that they could make it mean anything they wanted to. So anyway, they came out with that ruling saying that you had to register, uh, you know, that Bitcoin dealers like myself had to register with FinCEN. So I did. As soon as I found out that I was required to do that, I said, well, I, I really don't think that that, that law applies to me, you know, that, uh, but I'll, I'll go ahead and do it anyway. I'll, you know, I want to avoid trouble. So I registered with FinCEN, or at least I thought I did. I, there were a number of pages on the registration form you have to go through. And I went and filled out every, every blank, every question they asked me. And I thought when I got to the end, I was registered. Well, a few months later, I believe it was in November of 2014, uh, the Bitcoin uh, – the exchanger that I had been dealing with notified me. They said, uh, we can't find your registration didn't you register? I said, well, yeah, I did. And I went, they said, well, what's your registration? <coughs> excuse me. What's your registration number? I said, uh, they never sent me one. They said, oh, you need to re-register re then. Something didn't go through. So I went and registered again. Well, and this time I, it went through and I got the registration number and so forth. Let's see. I was trying to comply. Mm -hmm. uh, government didn't care. They said, nope, you missed the, the deadline. You had 180 days from the start of your business to registering with FinCEN, and you didn't meet that. Therefore, you are operating an unlicensed, uh, unlicensed money service business. So traditionally, <laughs> traditionally in, uh, in, in to break the law, to, to be convicted of a crime, really, in any, any crime, there needs mm -hmm. to be intent to, That's right. to break the law. There, right. And, 
there was no intent here. You were, as you said, you were trying to comply. So in in their mind, if you had registered within that time window, you would not have this legal legal trouble today. Is that is that correct? That that's largely correct. Yes, sir. That that would have taken care of, of the biggest part of the issue. They didn't care whether what my intent was. You either you do it or you don't. That's crazy. <laughs> so is yep. there is there any precedent? Um, is are there no. other cases like this in no. Louisiana no. Or, or elsewhere, no. or is this first no. kind? This is the very first one like this that I know of. In fact, you know, we spent a lot of time researching this to see if uh, if there were any other cases. As far as we know, this is the first one. And I, I know we said during the pre-show chat you can't talk about your your strategy um, going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess in detail, C- can you share can you share anything about what what some steps would be? I know you said that you're you're supposed to report to uh, to to jail. I guess on July 11th. So right, do you anticipate right. reporting then and, and going to prison? Uh, look, as far as I can tell, that's what's going to happen. I I don't really know a lot about the uh, appeals process. Um, you know what time frame I'm, we haven't even hardly started that yet because you know I, I just got the sentence uh, two days ago, so <laughs> we still have a lot of work to do. So this took quite a while to play out then. So they yes. are they're charging you between what 2013 and 2015, and then when so when did? Well, I guess maybe a good question is. Did they, I mean, how, how did this take place? Was there a raid on your house when they finally charged you? Was there a, where you sent something in the mail? How did you find out that you were being charged with this crime? Uh, they first um, sent uh, some documents to my house, you know, they mailed to me, uh, asking me a lot of questions about my business where they were wanting to know, you know, who owns the business, uh, you know, how much all types of financial transactions. They were wanting a lot of details. And when I got that, I knew uh, there was a problem. So I immediately found an attorney and he got with the the prosecuting attorney on this issue so that they would know that I'm represented. So no, there was no raid on my house or anything like that. But uh, they did take all of their evidence to the grand jury, and the grand jury indicted us. So we finally got the indictment, and then we proceeded on to court after that. So you you, you proceed on to court. Um, yeah, and that was in that was in 2015. I was in 2015, and then I think I read an article from from last May. Was it that? That's when you were convicted, right? And then there was sentencing. Yes, they was that delayed to be until now, or what? What happened there? Well, okay, yeah, because it usually doesn't take that long between when you plead to the time you're sentenced. Usually, it's only about ninety days. But there were a number of other factors that caused it to go way beyond that time. In our case, um, of course, initially we pled not guilty, but then uh, a little time later there was a we had to go to a change of plea hearing and at that time we wanted to plead no contest in that we're not admitting guilt but we just feel that we're not able to really defend ourselves so but the uh, prosecuting attorney for the government would not accept that and they had apparently they have the right in the different districts to accept it uh, uh, a no contest uh, plea or not and but uh, she would not accept that. So we had to come back the next week and and plead guilty or not guilty. And so at that time, 
I pled guilty because and and in the plea agreement I was only pleading guilty to count one that is operating a unlicensed money service business is what it was called because I didn't have a license from the state and at that time my attorney made me feel that I had misread or misunderstood the state statute regarding that so I pled guilty to not having a license mm-hmm. after that time uh, there was another company an, an, another person in company here in in, uh, in this city where I live who was also doing the same thing that we were and he wrote to the state asking get a license and the, light, and the state told him that uh, he, he was not running a, a money service business and that therefore he didn't need a license and so I tried to withdraw my plea but the government would not accept my withdrawal uh, petition Wow! they said no. <laughs> they said no <laughs> they, they don't care if you have a license or not there were they said there were two parts to that uh, plea agreement that you made one was to be licensed if the state required it, and the other was to be registered. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't understand that fine distinction that there were two parts to it. So in my mind, I was only pleading guilty to not having a license, which I didn't have and I still don't have, and I don't need. But the government said they didn't care. So there's the, the registration. That is the FinCEN part, which you eventually yes. acquired, right? Yes, yes, I did. Uh-huh. So what, what's, what's the separate li- licensing part? The, the government was was uh, position was that in re, in pleading guilty to an unlicensed money service that has two parts not having a license and not being registered with FinCEN in the proper time frame, but I didn't understand that second part applied uh, to my guilty plea. I under because everything the judge had said at that hearing, everything in writing they had given me said unlike the quote unlicensed money service business. So I pled guilty to an unlicensed money service business, but I didn't need a license. But the government says, no, there were two parts to it, no, but I had only understood that there was one part to it. I didn't understand unlicensed money service business was an expansive legal term that has a very specific meaning. Yeah, well, if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I'm not understanding this now. So this, yeah, this, I, is, just, hey, this is just crazy. Almost, um, almost nobody does, and it's, it, was, it, uh, was very diff- it was very difficult for me going through all this to learn all, all these very fine distinctions. Um, so when I, anyway, the, the issue is when I pled guilty, I was pleading guilty to not having a license. I didn't realize that I was also pleading guilty to not reg- being registered in time. I didn't know that at that time, but I have since learned that that's what the government thought that I was doing. And they don't seem to care what my thoughts were. <laughs> do, do you feel like you were, you were targeted here because you just talked oh, yeah. about another another Bitcoin dealer who was told they didn't need a license. There's other people around the country. I assume I don't know. You know, I can't say factually 100%. I know of anyone, but I assume there are, are many people around the country doing a similar thing to you. Do you think that you were targeted for for any reason at all? Sure. Um, I I, th- I think that they realized that. I would have difficulty defending myself and they would get an easy victory or an easy win out of this. And they did. And they wanted, and the judge talked about this a little bit. They really wanted to send a message to any other dealers uh, in Bitcoin that they had better really toe the line or they're coming after them. 
So that's why they gave me such a harsh sentence. Yeah, well, that's how that's how the state operates, and that's how they. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. They they want to keep their sheep in line. Exactly, and it's uh, it's really unfortunate that you're the one bearing bearing the brunt here. Um, unfortunately, as you know, you follow everything the state does. There's there's probably going to be be more people. Unfortunately, before we're able to actually change these laws and bring sanity, right. bring actual competition to uh, to currency, to you know. And the and the Federal Reserve's monopoly on right. Well, yeah, they, the Federal Reserve doesn't want any competition. They want to just wipe us all out. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with. There's been some legislation in Texas, and <laughs> I want to say Utah, maybe, where there are now, maybe it hasn't passed full yet or, or been signed into law, but it's progressing that way, and it's looking like it will. That there will be some um, gold reserves where you're able to transact with. Uh, with gold as, as legal tender. So it'll be right. interesting to see how the federal government and the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve, right. how they right. react to, to something like that. <laughs> they're not going to like it. <laughs> no, 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 they're not. Um, no, they, the government wants to have absolute control over your money supply, and they want to have absolute access to all of your financial transactions so they can see and control everything you do. It's all about control. Right. So with control, they can they can take as much as they want. They can confiscate it from you. So yes, they can. That's the name of the game. Yes, so, it is. Um, R- Randall, you, you obviously have a family. Your your son is is going to be uh, going to jail as well. How many um, do you have? Additional sons and daughters? Uh, yes, I do. I have another son and a daughter. My daughter's in high school. How are they dealing <laughs> with this? Ah, uh, well, of course they <laughs> this didn't make their day. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge question. We still don't know what's going to happen because the government really hasn't finished everything in my case. There is the issue of forfeiture that has not been addressed yet, and that probably won't uh, be finished for another two weeks. And that I guess I, I tried to get my attorney to explain to me what that means, but uh, he he was unable to convey in a, in a manner that I could understand uh, what, what's going to happen. But I, I believe what it means is they, they look at the overall activity that our business had, and they will come up with a figure of how much money I'm going to have to pay them. So when you're talking about the issue of forfeiture, I assume you're talking about civil assets forfeiture. So they, are they deciding right now what they're, what they're going to seize? Yes. Oh God, that's. Crazy. They may end up seizing my the the uh, building that I own plus my uh, my home. I don't really know what's going to happen, so it's absolutely impossible to plan or for my family to know what to do, or or what's going to happen to them. You know, they they could end up homeless over this. I don't know. And that's and that's the reason that that I brought that up. I don't I don't bring it up to you know to to dig into dig into wounds here. I just want people to under to understand the implications of this and how you know it, it affects affects your entire family you have a family and just how horrible it is you see the state as we talked about making an example out of out of you and and uh, making an example out of your son it's absolutely uh really really a terrifying terrifying situation to see how this can happen to to good people that's exactly what the government wants they want to keep you in a state of fear to keep control yeah, and obviously, Randall, I talked about in, in your intro, you have a uh, a background in in libertarian politics. Yes. Um, so, you, what offices uh, did you run for previously? 
I ran for uh, House of Representatives twice. What time frame was that? Um, let's see. I believe that was in about 20. Let's see. I think it was in 2013 and 2015 is when I ran. Or maybe 2012 and 2014. I, I forgot. It's, it's some years ago. But, of course, I, I would have run again um, at this last election last fall had I not been involved in this legal matter. Yeah, so, I mean, Felony Friday audience, Lions of, Liberty, Lions of Liberty audience, this is a guy who has been out there fighting for your liberty, fighting to expand your liberty, and the government's come after him. So is, is there any way that, uh, you know, my listeners can help? Is there anything at all that, that they can do? I don't think there's really anything in particular they can do to help me at this time, if that's what you're asking. And and I'm really not asking for anyone to help me. I, I mean, I've had a lot of friends who've you know said similar things, asking me if there's anything they can do to help. And at this point, there's nothing that I know of that they can do. The only thing I tell everyone is just to keep living free and do not let the government control you. Yeah, and I would suggest you know sharing this podcast, sharing Randall's story. Um, it's you know the 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 state tries to make an example out of one person. The best thing we can do is to turn that example around and just show how barbaric it is. Exactly. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to to share this show, to talk to their friends, talk to their neighbors about what a good person like like Randall Lord and his family are are having to go through for. For no good reason at all. There's been no, there's been no one harmed here. There's been no crime. Um, this is a completely, you know, nonviolent crime. There's, there's no, no, no trail of of anybody having any any sort of harm. So, right, right. Randall, I just want to give you an opportunity. Anything else you'd you'd like to say be, before I let you go? Uh, no, I can't think of anything else at this moment. But uh, I appreciate all the support that I've gotten, and you know, just just keep doing it. Keep. Keep fighting against the beast that tries to control your life. Well, thank you so much for coming on Felony Friday, Randall. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Hey, I really want to thank you all for listening to today's interview. Unfortunately, I am a little short on time as I'm producing this to get it out to you this week, this Friday, June 2nd. So I do just want to ask you guys, if you enjoyed listening to this show, if you think it's important for issues like this, for cases like Randall Lord, Randall Lord and his sons to be exposed, to be to have a light shined on them, because the mainstream media obviously has completely ignored the plight of Randall Lord, his life being torn apart, possibly his his family's house being taken away, they could be homeless. Um, just really an incredibly disturbing story, and hopefully I did a small part to shine a light on it today. If you could help me out and help Randall out, and please share this episode with your networks, blast it out there, write about it. People need to hear about this case, about this injustice, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I just want to ask that, and we have been producing more exclusive content through our Lions of Liberty Pride group. Of course, we give you three episodes per week here on the show for free every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Monday with Mark Clare. Wednesday with Brian McWilliams and Electric Liberty Land, and of course every Friday with Felony Friday. But in addition to that, we have some bonus content that we give out to our Lions Pride group. And the way to get that content is you have to join the Lions Pride, and by doing that, you get access to the content. You can do that very easily by going to lionsofliberty.com/support. 
Joining at that lowest level, $5 per month, will get you access to all of our exclusive content. If you want to give a little more and help us out a little bit more, $10 a month, $25 per month, you get even more. You get free t-shirts, free koozies, things like that. At $25 per month, we'll actually have a, uh, a Skype call, a conference call with you every single month, and you can have some input into the show, the, the direction of the show. Give us give us your direct feedback. It's a great way for us to talk with our listeners, get your ideas, and incorporate them into the show. And also, this helps us to grow the show. And that's really what we want to do. And I'll go back to talking about sharing the show, how important it is, how important it is to, if you enjoy this, please go to iTunes. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, please go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. That does help us out in their rating system. Everything that you give us, all the donations you give us by joining the Pride, that all goes right back into growing this show. We're not taking a penny from it. All we care about is spreading the message of liberty. Guys, that's all I have for today. I just want to thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.